Why don't we open our Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. James chapter 5, we are picking up in verse 7, coming to the conclusion of the book of James here. The last time we were at the book of James, we saw that James was encouraging the believer as he spoke to the unbeliever. And he was speaking to the unbeliever, giving them a warning, the rich that oppressed the poor. And he was speaking to the rich who was oppressing the poor of the coming judgment because they live a life rejecting God. Now he speaks to those who are oppressed. Now he speaks to those who are enduring hardship. Now he speaks to the believer who endures the hardship in this world, in this life, through trials here on earth. And I think it's very important that as we read these verses that we would remind ourselves that God will not right every wrong in this world until Jesus returns. We must, as believers, patiently endure and expect suffering. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We have a promise that he has overcome the world. So because he has now had a victory over the world, sin, death, the devil, we also participate in that victory as well. And here comes the encouragement to the church now. How are we to respond? How are we to face injustice, persecution, suffering, mistreatment? He says, face all of those things patiently. In fact, I want you to write down in your notes, maybe in your Bible, the power of patience. Because he's motivating us, he's encouraging, he's exhorting the church here that because Christ is coming again, we should endure hardship, suffering, patiently. Some of us really don't like that word patience. In fact, when we hear the word patience, it makes us very impatient. And we're going to practice, we're going to work on our patience this morning. In fact, the message today is going to be two hours long, just to help us out. (laughs) No, it's not. But James here tells us not only what to do when we've been wrong, but he also tells us how to do it. If you've been wronged right now in a situation, maybe by a person, by a friend, a relative, a co-worker, maybe within the body of Christ, you believe that you have been wronged by someone else, James tells us what to do when we have been wronged and how to do it. How can I do right when I've been wronged? Just ask yourself that question because here he gives us the answer. And why does he speak on this here in James 5 because it's very possible even as a believer of Jesus Christ to react wrongly to persecution. It is very possible that you're going through hardship, that you're enduring suffering, and you're responding to all of that in the wrong way. You know, some Christians are put under the crucible of suffering, of hardship, of trials, and they're very hard to deal with. They're impossible to stand. So here what James reminds us is that oftentimes our trials should only reflect that our trust is in the Lord. Your trials and the trials that we go through should never give us an excuse to be bitter at people. They should never give us an excuse to blame other people like it was their fault as to why we're hurt, where we are in life, or to flesh out in anger. 
He's instructing them with these things so that they learn how to behave during persecution, during injustice, during mistreatment. And notice this, how a person behaves only reveals where their trust is. How you behave right now as you're going through suffering, how you behave right now as you're going through trials, as you're going through hardship, troubles, only reveals where your trust is. It either says you're trusting in God or you're trusting in self, in your circumstance, in people. So the encouragement here that James gives the church is that they are to be patient when wronged. And I want you to remember that this morning, that we would be patient when we are wrong, that we would endure when we're wrong. And I'm going to invite you that you would stand with me for the reading of God's word today. We'll begin there in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7 through 11. I'll read the odd verses and you read the even verses out loud together. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because your word is so clear to us. It reminds us what we're called to do during times of suffering. It instructs us on how we ought to do it. So we ask that today our eyes would be set on you that our focus would be on you, Lord, that we would not become bitter or angry or emotional, but that we would respond in a way that glorifies you. Lord, that we would direct other people to you even while we suffer. Lord, would you give us strength today to bear the trial that we're in? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. You may be seated. There begins the encouragement. They are to be patient when wronged. Remember that. They are and you are to be patient when we are wronged. And he begins there in verse 7 this morning by saying, Therefore, be patient, brethren. That There's the first command. There's the first now instruction that he gives, exhortation. This is not a recommendation. This is not an option as a prescription in your life right now. What this is, a command from God through his word written by the Holy Spirit for you this morning. You who are enduring trials, you who are suffering, you who are enduring mistreatment. Notice what it says, therefore be patient. And the reason why he uses the word therefore, because he's speaking in light of your present trials because of the troubles you're facing, because of the coming judgment of the Lord that he's already mentioned, dear brothers and sisters, speaking to the believer right now. I, I want you to know this. Be patient. Now, there in your notes, next to the word patient, you can write the word endurance. Because this is exactly what he's referring to, be patient or endure. 
And the word patience here means to remain under, almost as if you're carrying a heavy load, and instead of escaping that load or instead of running away, you remain under carrying that load. You are under great stress. You stay put when you have the option of running away. You continue to endure that heavy load. Maybe right now you feel the pressures of a heavy load in life through sickness, through maybe warfare in life, through persecution that you're facing. Well, God is calling us to be patient, endure, stay under, stay put, don't run away. And notice how this command comes to us as a church. When you're facing suffering, when you're facing injustice, he urges you, maintain this attitude of patience, not simply towards circumstances. Notice here, he's referring to patience with people. I think that's when our patience is tested the most, when we have to be patient with someone else. Maybe patient in our marriage, patient in our homes, patient with a, with a coworker, a boss at work. We always have that person that helps us become more patient in life, right? And if you think, well, you know, I really don't have anyone in life that really tests my patience. Maybe you're testing everyone else's patience. <laughs> but he's saying be patient with people, not simply circumstances. The word patience comes from two Greek words. That word macros, which means long, and then thumos, where we get the word thermometer or temper. He's saying, be long-tempered, be long-suffering. When you're mistreated, suffer long. Be long-tempered, be long-suffering without becoming resentful or bitter. Why? Because it's very easy for us as we're going through trials or suffering to quickly become bitter or hard in our hearts. He says, refrain from any type of personal retaliation in the face of provocation. You may think someone did you wrong, whether you're right and, or wrong, or whether they're right or wrong, you are to never retaliate on a personal level. Don't become worldly in your response. Don't seek vengeance. Be patient. Stay under. Wait on the Lord here. And the word patience is important because it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life that you're willing to endure or to be patient. What is the fruit of the Spirit? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Say it out loud with me. And then patience. When the Holy Spirit works in the life of the Christian, one of the evidences is that that person is willing to be patient or endure. When something takes place that is unjust in your life, notice what he says, have a long fuse. Don't have a short fuse where you lose your temper very quickly. Just pause, chill out a little bit, and wait. There he says, be patient, brethren. In 1 Thessalonians 4.15, Paul told the church of Thessalonica this very same thing, a growing church, a church filled with new believers. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, warn people that are causing problems. Comfort those that are weak, uphold the weak, but be patient with all. Be patient with all. In fact, that's one of the attributes of God. Did you know that God is so patient with us? That is who he is. 
He's long-suffering. We have to be grateful that God is patient with us, that God hasn't given up on us, that God hasn't stopped loving us, that no matter how many times we have fallen or sinned, I want you to know this, he still loves you today. That is the patience of God. The psalmist would say this in Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful. God is gracious. He, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. It's amazing when we reflect upon who God is and learn that he's slow to anger. He, he abounds in mercy. He's very gracious. He, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is his love, his forgiveness, his compassion. That is who God is. He's slow to anger. He abounds. He overflows in forgiveness. You know what his patience means for us? His patience for us means salvation. Remember that this morning, God's patience for us means salvation. When Peter was encouraging the church that was also being persecuted, reminding them that God is going to come for his church and that he is not slack concerning his promises. He will return for his church. He reminds him why God is being patient, why God is being long-suffering, and that he hasn't come yet. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. God will fulfill his promise. God will come back. As some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us. You know what he is towards you right now? He's long-suffering. Maybe he keeps reminding you how much he loves you and he's calling you to turn to him, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to accept salvation, but he's long-suffering. He's so patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you know this is the character of who God is? He's so patient. He has not returned yet because he's waiting for you to repent and for you to come to salvation. That, that is who God is in his love for us. In 2 Peter 3.15, it says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God has been patient with you, giving you opportunity for you to confess your sin, that you would realize that you need a Savior, that only through the cross of Jesus Christ you can be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. And because of his love for you, he's being patient. What do we need to do today? Lord, thank you for your patience in our life. But notice here in James chapter 5, verse 7, he encourages the church to be patient as God is patient with us. And he says this, until the coming of the Lord. How long should we be patient? I think when someone gives you the expectation to be patient, the first thing you ask is how long? In fact, maybe some of you are looking at your watch already. How long is this message going to be? But he says, as you wait for the Lord, until the coming of the Lord, you should not be patient until you get tired of waiting. You should not be patient until you're upset. You said, you know what? I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to endure any longer. You should not be patient until you get what you want or until you're heard. Do you notice here the, the conditions, the, the command, the requirement when it comes to your patient until the coming of the Lord? That is when we should remain patient up until that moment, until his arrival, until his presence, until we're caught up in the air, until we're raptured from this earth. Three times here, 
In verse 7, 8, and 9, he reminds us that the Lord is coming again. Why? As a motivation, as hope for us to look forward to and endure affliction, realizing the glory that awaits us. I can endure suffering right now because of the glory that awaits me when Christ returns. I can endure the problem, the trial, the suffering, the tribulation that I'm going through right now in hopes as I expect, as I anticipate, as I look forward to the glory of the Lord returning for his church. That gives me motivation. That strengthens me, James here says. You know what this means? That if he has not come yet, it means that it's still time to endure. It's still time to wait on the Lord. It's still time to be patient. But our eyes have to be fixed in the right place until the coming of the Lord. The problem oftentimes is why we want to quickly give up when it comes to being patient. When it comes to people, you say, well, I've already been patient with them. I'm tired of being patient with them. I'm tired of not seeing a change in their life or in my circumstance. I have not received what I want. I've been mistreated because your eyes are not on the Lord. They're on other people. Our eyes have to be fixed on the Lord Jesus. When you put your eyes in the right place, you can be patient. In Titus 2.13, would you write this down this morning? Paul told Titus, we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what we can look forward to no matter what situation we're in right now? We can look forward to the hope, to the great appearing to the blessed hope of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, look forward to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So until the coming of the Lord, we should remain patient. Keep enduring. When is he coming? We don't know. Our responsibility is to keep being patient, keep enduring, regardless of the situation or regardless of the person. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour that he's returning. We have a responsibility to be faithful with what God has given us, and that means to be patient. Now, why does the coming of the Lord also motivate us? Because we have a promise that awaits us, and we know because of that promise that we won't always be suffering. That suffering is only temporary. Do you remember what Paul told the church of Rome as some were going through trials as well in Romans 8.18? He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this is what he's going through himself, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. When I consider what I'm going through and I compare it to the glory that I'm going to experience in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not even worthy to be compared. I can endure, I, I can suffer, I can persevere when I consider the glory that awaits me. Today you can endure, today you can be patient. Today you can suffer with hope, knowing that the troubles that we face are only temporary in comparison to the weight of glory that we'll have one day in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we don't live for this world. We live for eternal life. Now, he gives us three examples of patient endurance. This is how we should patiently endure. This is what it looks like. The first example comes from the reference to a farmer. And notice what he says there in verse 7, the second half. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it 
until it receives the early and latter rain. When you think about your patient endurance, I want you to consider something. Would you see the patient endurance of a farmer? Would you look at how a farmer patiently waits? How does a farmer wait as he's working and tilling the land? He's waiting with hope. He's waiting with expectancy. He's waiting with anticipation that all his work that he's faithfully doing as he's tilling that land one day will produce precious fruit, harvest. He's waiting. He's enduring with the harvest, the fruit in mind. Now, notice what the harvest looks like. Look at the word there in your Bible, precious fruit. Because here's the value that motivates the farmer to continue tilling the land. He's waiting for the rain as well, whether it comes in fall or in spring. And he patiently is enduring different seasons that are out of his control. You notice most of the things that we suffer are out of our control. Well, look at the farmer. He patiently endures seasons, circumstances that are out of his control as he waits for the precious fruit. His only responsibility is to be faithful, is to obey, and is to submit to the will of God. Now, he doesn't just simply give up when he doesn't see the harvest come immediately. How foolish would it be to go and plant something the next day, come back to it, and expect that there would be fruit there? That'd be foolish. A farmer doesn't do that. He patiently endures even when he knows the harvest is not coming immediately. He keeps on waiting when he knows the, the crops can't be seen right now. Maybe they're seen very far away. So here what James is doing, he's encouraging us by allowing us to look at the life of a farmer. And he's saying, even so Christians, work hard, be faithful, exercise, patient, endurance, even when the harvest day seems far away. Why should we endure? Because the harvest is worth the wait. Would you remember that today? The harvest is worth the wait. That's exactly why the farmer waits because he's waiting for the precious fruit, because he knows the value of the fruit that he's waiting for. So he says, just like the farmer, he urges them, be patient, submit, leave the rest in the capable hands of God, the things that you can't control. You know what your responsibility is? To be faithful, to obey, to sow, to plow, and to leave everything else, the results, into the hands of God who is capable of providing our responsibility, even as we go through suffering, as we face hardship, is to trust wholeheartedly in the goodness of God, that we would say, Lord, we trust you even as we endure. We know that we don't have to be in charge. We know that we don't have control over the situation, that we can't control the outcome. But Lord, we trust you as we patiently wait for the early and latter rain that will give us the precious fruit that we're laboring for. But what are we doing? We're trusting in the Lord as we wait. That's what the farmer would do. He would work and he would trust in the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah says this, you will keep him in perfect peace. When we endure suffering, you know one thing that we need is peace so that we're not anxious or frustrated or angry, but the prophet here, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, would say that you would keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want peace right now? Your mind has to be in the Lord. 
even as you suffer, even as you wait, even as you're going through trial, even as circumstances are out of your control, trust in the Lord. And as you trust in God, even when circumstances are out of your control, He can give you perfect peace. Again, how we respond during times of suffering or trials would demonstrate whether or not we really trust God. Are you emotional as you're going through suffering and trial? Do you try to become controlling or manipulate situations or resentful and bitter? Here he describes that being patient in negative circumstances means that we deliberately, we make a conscious decision to allow God to handle the situation in his own way and in his own time. Like a farmer who waits. Like one that's waiting on the ladder and former rain, whether it's in the fall or the spring. So just like that, where you trust the Lord, notice what he mentions in verse 8 now, you also be patient. Just like the farmer who waits, who waits in tranquility, who has peace, who's faithfully working while he's waiting, despite circumstances that are changing because of the value of the harvest, which is precious fruit, you also must be patient. It's important that we look at the life of a farmer and realize one thing. The lesson here is that as we patiently endure, we should be working. What does the farmer do? He faithfully works while he endures. God's calling us right now to put our hands to the plow to be faithful even as we endure. That we would be faithful in the things that he has given us. Even James here, he's given an illustration that pictures the Christian as a spiritual farmer looking for spiritual harvest. And you know what happens is we're that spiritual farmer looking for spiritual fruit. Our heart is the soil. The seed is the word of God. There are different seasons in spiritual life, just like there's different seasons in soil. So oftentimes the soil becomes very hard. There are times in our spiritual walk that our heart becomes very cold and hard. You know what the Lord has to come and do? He has to come and break up that fallow ground of the soul of our hearts. And he'll do that through trials and temptations and sufferings to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts so that he can bring fruit out of the life of the believer. But until we allow him to do what he needs to do in our life, in our heart, to break up that hard ground, until that happens, then our lives can't produce fruit. You know what God's will for our lives is? that we would bear fruit and that that fruit would remain. And instead of trying to grow impatient, hear what James is saying with ourselves or with other people, what we need to do is yield to the Lord and permit him to grow the fruit in our lives. I like what Samuel Rutherford said. He said it best when referring to this verse, quote, why should I tremble at the plow of my Lord? Why should I be afraid when the Lord plows my heart? that maketh deep furrows on my soul. I know he's no idle husband, man. He purposes a crop. Why does God plow our souls? Because he is purposing a crop. Because he has the precious fruit in mind. So what is the first command? Be patient. But then in verse 8, the second half, he reminds them, establish your hearts. The second command here is to be encouraged. You may be enduring suffering right now. Be patient, endure, stay under. Don't retaliate. Don't try to get even, but establish your hearts. Be encouraged. 
Don't be discouraged when you're wrong. Strengthen your heart. This applies to this emotional strength that comes from within. It means be established, be supported firmly. Don't be moving or wavering. Be immovable during times of testing. You know what happens? Oftentimes we're suffering and we, our hearts get so distracted, we allow our heart to lie to us, to deceive us. We become very emotional or led by our heart's desires. What does he say during times of trials? Not only should you be patient, but also you should be encouraged. And how can you establish your heart? The only way to have a heart that's established, a heart that is strengthened, is a heart that is rooted in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ on the cross. You want to have a heart that is strong right now? A heart that's courageous during times of testing or suffering? Then look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because your heart can only be established through the cross, through the ministry of prayer, and through the ministry of the word of God. So many people have a weak heart. They're led away so easily as they're going through suffering because their heart is not in the right place. Where should our heart find strength through? Through the word of God and through prayer. A heart that is not strengthened, a heart that is not established, cannot bear fruit. And we have to allow God to constantly be working in our hearts, cultivating a soil through the word of God in prayer that is willing to bear fruit. So what is he telling them there in verse eight again? Wait upon the Lord and don't lose heart. Today, don't lose heart. Strengthen your heart right now. Don't give up. Do not become discouraged. God has a way of working out his purpose, of working out his plan in an everyday scale. He will make things work out according to his plan and his timing. Sometimes we don't like to endure because we wish that things would have already been fixed by now. But he says, be encouraged. Why? Here's the second time that it encourages or points us to the coming of the Lord there in verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do you see there first in verse 7 he says, until the coming of the Lord, verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand because he is near, because his return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. We should be encouraged right now, regardless of the situation, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. He is near. Peter told the church in 1 Peter 4, 7, that we should be serious and watchful. He's reminding us again here through the example of the farmer, be patient, be encouraged until the coming of the Lord, because the coming of the Lord is at hand for the second time. 1 Peter 4, 7, he tells the church, but, but the end of all things is at hand. He, he's going to return. Therefore, be serious and watchful in all of your prayers. What are we to do? Be encouraged, be serious, be watchful. And maybe right now you're carrying a burden. You're coming right now carrying this load of suffering that you are tired of now navigating life with. Well, he says, don't be discouraged. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Today, you can do the very thing. 1 Peter 5, 7, he encourages us to do that. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. What should we do today? Cast our cares upon him, even when we're suffering, because he cares for you right now. And then we see through 2 Peter 3, 11, that as we establish our hearts, as we strengthen ourselves spiritually from the inside out, we should live in such a way that honors him until his coming, to live a holy life. Therefore, since all these things, 
will be dissolved at his coming. What manner of persons are you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness? Why are we to have a strengthened heart through the word of God, through prayer, so that we live a holy life because the Lord is coming soon? Do you notice two times he's reminded us? Be patient, be encouraged into the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Now the third here, exhortation and command, comes in verse 9. And this is a difficult one because now he says, don't complain. Notice, do not grumble against one another. Now that's difficult when you're going through suffering, right? What's the first thing we like to do when we're going through suffering? We like to tell every single person what we're going through. We like to complain about it. We, we like to grumble about it. And, and the word that he uses there in verse 9, he uses the word grumble. Grumble is one of those words that it, it sounds like it's definition. <laughs> don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't complain. But notice how it follows that against one another. Don't be complaining or fighting or arguing against one another, maybe against the person that's wronged you or simply with other people because you're frustrated or because you've become bitter. When, when we complain, notice what happens. We are cultivating bitterness in our hearts. When you begin to complain, you're cultivating bitterness in your heart. And fruit, that precious fruit, that harvest cannot grow in an environment where the soil is bitter. That's what we have to protect our hearts. That's what we have to strengthen our hearts so that we don't begin to complain. So that we don't begin to be negative, that everyone else is wrong and I'm right. He reminds them of this because times of hardship can cause a Christian to be less loving towards one another. Now that you're going through that situation, your attitudes change. You're not loving anymore. You're not kind anymore. You're not serving with joy anymore. He reminds us that we should not be grumblers, that we should not be complainers in our hardship. Why oftentimes we start to complain and saying, God, why haven't you taken me out of this situation already? And when you become impatient with God, you notice what happens also. It leads us to be impatient with other people as well. And this is a sin that we have to avoid, that we don't become impatient to the place where we no longer are displaying other fruits of the Holy Spirit because bitterness always kills the fruit that is growing in the soil of your heart. If you start to become a stickler at everything, opposing everything, attacking everything with one another, notice what you'll do if you begin to complain. You'll miss out on the harvest. There's so many people that miss out on the precious fruit that God intended for their lives, for their family, because they live the life of bitterness and complaining. So don't speak against one another. Don't fight. Don't argue when you're suffering. Look now to the Lord and don't look for someone else to blame. Every time something bad happens, you know what we are quick to do? Whose fault was it? Who can we blame? But he says here, do not grumble or do not complain, lest you be judged. This is a sin, and you'll be held accountable for it, so you'll be judged. And here, the third time, it comes with the encouragement that the Lord is coming again. In the end of verse 9, behold, pay attention, beware, the judge is standing at the door. See, the Lord is not only coming, he not only encourages us, with the coming of the Lord, with the presence of the Lord, but also with the judgment of the Lord. Why should we live a life of patience, endurance, perseverance? 
Well, why should we live a life also of waiting on him without complaining? Because the judge is standing at the door. This is a picture of a judge that's about to open up the door, enter into the courtroom, and sit at the seat of the judge at any moment to assess the faithfulness of other Christians. God is coming, and God will come to judge. This is the reason why we have to live a life that is above reproach, without complaining, without bitterness, without anger, because the judge is coming at any moment, and he will hold us accountable. Beware because of his coming, and beware because of his judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul reminds the church, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us are going to appear before Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, According to that which he has done, whether good or bad, you will have to give an answer of everything you did in this life. You will stand alone before God. The judge is standing at the door. He's ready to open the door to that courtroom to sit at the place of judge to hold you accountable to how you live your life. So don't complain. Again, the motivation is this, that the Lord is coming at any moment. In, in light of this, we can't allow hardship to make us unloving towards one another. What does Paul tell the church of Philippi in Philippians 2, 14? Do all things, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining or arguing about it. Not everything is an argument. Not everything requires that you complain. In fact, this week, practice gratitude. Be patient, endure, be generous, demonstrate joy, and there he gives us three commands as we look at the farmer's example. Be patient, be encouraged, and don't complain. While you endure, be patient, be encouraged, and don't complain. What does the farmer tell us to do? To work as we endure. But the second example is found in verse 10, and we're looking back at the prophets now in the Old Testament. We're looking back at the prophets here in God's word because if the farmer encourages us to work, the prophets encourage us to witness. Did you know that people are watching you as you endure suffering? And our responsibility, our calling is that we would reflect the love of Christ, that we would point them to Jesus no matter what season we're going through. So there in verse 10, notice what he refers them to as a second example of patient endurance. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Would you take the prophets as an example, brothers and sisters? Take them and use them as a motivation. They spoke in the name of the Lord, notice, and they still were afflicted. Now, why are they an example? They're an example of two things of suffering and patience, of suffering and endurance. When your patience is being tested, your character is revealed in what you do next. And here he's saying, we can look at the prophets, their lives. They suffered for doing right. They suffered for speaking about the Lord. They suffered because they were witnesses. And not only did they suffer for being a witness, they also endured that suffering. If we look at the Old Testament through Daniel, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, an example of people that endured mistreatment. 
with patience, in mistreatment, with patience, because they were doing the will of God. Notice that oftentimes we will have to endure injustice because we were doing the right thing, because we were being faithful to God, because we were doing God's will. Jeremiah was a perfect example. He was rejected and he was thrown into prison for speaking the word of the Lord. Yet he persevered in ministry. You know what he's saying? As much as God loved them, as much as God used them, they weren't exempt from suffering. They weren't exempt from affliction. Their faithfulness to God during times of suffering was a mark of their true character, that they trusted God, that they lived godly lives. Oftentimes we think, well, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? You're using me. I thought I was your favorite, Lord. You know what the Lord is showing you? The Lord, you know what the Lord is telling you? That you are called to patiently endure. Look back at the prophets. We must never think that our obedience automatically produces ease, but it still will require patience, not simply a life of pleasure. Our Lord Jesus, think about Christ. He was obedient to the will of the Father, and where did it lead him? His obedience to the cross to endure the cross. The Bible says that he endured the cross. We all need to remind ourselves that we ought to be patient in times of suffering as the prophets were patient, and it's a testimony to those around us. Now, as we look at the prophets and find out how patient they were, it reminds us also that God cares for us when we're suffering. What did God do for these prophets? He cared for them, and I want you to know something. He cares for you. This was written regarding the prophets for our learning, for our application, that we would look at the lives of those that also ran before us, their walk of faith. They suffered and they patiently endured. That God is with us even the most difficult seasons of life. Did you know that the will of God will never lead you to where his grace cannot sustain you? God will never lead you to a place where he cannot keep you. When you look at the farmer, you see that we're, we must be working as we endure. When you look at the prophets, you know that we must be witnessing. We speak of the Lord even while we endure. But the third example there in verse 11, he speaks of the life of Job. And the farmer was working, the prophets were witnessing, Job was waiting. Remember that, he was waiting. So he says in verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed to endure. Why do we give honor to those who endure, not, not simply because they suffered, but also because they endured. We, we give honor because there's no victory without a battle, we know that. There are no mountaintops, there are no peaks without valleys in our life. Now, a lot of times we want a blessing, but we don't want to fight that battle. Here it explains we give honor to those who endure. They've been through suffering, they have been tested. It's not just that you suffered. It's also that you endured. For instance, notice what he refers to as an example, the life of Job. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you have seen the unintended of the Lord. Two things, you heard about it, and you saw what the Lord did at the end of his life. In one day, in Job chapter 1, we've heard of, We've read it. What happened? He was tested with suffering. And in one day, Job, this man in the Old Testament, he lost everything. He, he lost his livestock. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his health. The only thing he had left was his loving, encouraging, supporting wife. 
Why are you laughing? <laughs> now, what did his wife tell him? Joe, curse God and die now. Well, thanks, hon. Even when Job lost everything, the third example for us of patient endurance looks like this, that he remained blameless and he kept his integrity. You may say, I lost everything. You don't know what they caused me. They've come against my reputation, my family, my kids. You know what your responsibility is like, Job? Remain blameless and keep your integrity. They can do whatever they're doing, but you keep your integrity. His faith was demonstrated to be real because he had genuine patience. He endured all the testing and trials that the Lord put before him. In Job chapter 1, as he had lost everything, notice what he did. Job arose, Job 1.20. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. He worshiped. This is what he does as a response to suffering. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all these things, Job did not sin or, nor charge God with any wrong. This week, we can do the very same thing. Come to our table, and you know what you can say? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He's always been faithful. He's never changed. You know what the attitude of Job was when he was enduring all of this suffering? Though he slay me, I will trust him. Do you trust him right now? Like Job trusted the Lord? as he was waiting on God. At the end of verse 11, it would say, you've heard of it, but you also saw it. You've seen the end intended by the Lord. Circle the word intended. That means that God has an intention for everything that he does. He doesn't do things by accident. He does things with a purpose and a plan. You've seen that God had an ultimate goal and plan in allowing this suffering to come upon Job's life to develop a man of great endurance that remained obedience, submitted to the will of God in suffering. He, he kept the faith. He trusted in God. And God's intention was not only to restore to him twice as much as he had before, but to make him a man more of a godly character, to make him a man more of humility. You see the end intended by the Lord? You see how kind the Lord is at the end? We don't immediately see it. Maybe right now you can't see it in your situation. But at the end, we see it. It may not be immediately that we see what God is doing. But when we see it, then we realize God has a perfect plan in mind. First, God humbled Job. And then he honored him and gave him twice as much as what he had before. God allowed this suffering for a very good reason in his life. And not only simply to bless him, not only simply to mature him, not only simply to grow him, but notice there in verse 11, the end intended by the Lord was that Job would know who God is deeper. You know what God wants to do? He's so faithful, even as you're going through trials. You know what he wants to do? He wants to reveal himself to your life in a deeper way. He wants to show himself to you and explain who he is. He draws you nearer to himself. It would say there in verse 11 that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. God revealed himself to Job. He demonstrated that he was compassionate, that he was merciful, that he strengthened and sustained him, that he is faithful even when we're suffering. This is who God is. This is his character in our lives. He is two things, loving and forgiving, merciful. 
He's saying this to those that are undergoing trials that maybe in life things are not good, but God is still good. And God is still with you. He, he is compassionate. He, he is merciful. The psalmist said in Psalms 25, 6, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies. God is so merciful. He, he doesn't give us what we actually deserve, which is judgment. He forgives us, and then he gives us what we don't deserve. That's called grace, and he gives us eternal life. The psalmist cried out, remember your tender mercies, your loving kindness, for they are from old. Lord, that's who you are. You know what Satan wants us to do is to become impatient because an impatient Christian, impatient believer is a powerful weapon in the devil's hands. The devil will begin to use your life when you become impatient at what God is doing. Remind yourself that God has a purpose in all suffering. God has a plan. God has his own timetable. He will work out his own purposes in his own time for his own glory to reveal himself to your life. Like the farmer who was working, like the prophets who were witnessing, like Job who was waiting, we must patiently endure. Now, maybe you find yourself in a situation where you're going through hardship. We're reminded here three times, until the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remind yourself he's coming. And right now, if you're enduring, if you're going through suffering, you know what our responsibility is? You know what we have the blessing of doing? Running to the Lord Jesus Christ. Running to the throne of grace. In fact, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 4 as we close this morning? Hebrews 4. And here we're reminded that the Lord Jesus is always there to receive us, to meet us, to give us all the grace, all the help that we need in our hour of difficulty. In Hebrews 4.14, notice who Christ is for us. He's compassionate. He's loving. He has all the grace that you need to help you endure right now. You may say, I have no strength to endure. He has all the grace you need to endure. And there in verse 14, seeing, Hebrews 4.14, that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. This is who we need. Jesus, the Son of God. That's who he is. Let us hold fast our confession. Hold on to your faith in Christ. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Did you know that he can sympathize with your weaknesses right now? That he has suffered, that he's been tempted at all points, yet he was without sin. The word of God will tell us there, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He, he has compassion. He sympathizes. He knows your weaknesses. He walks with us. He strengthens us because he has compassion on us in our moments of weakness. Circle the word weakness there in your Bible. Maybe right now you're in a moment of weakness. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There's an invitation there in verse 16 that as you find yourself in the furnace of suffering, what are you to do? Run to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, find God's mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. What does he want to give you today? Mercy and grace to help you in time of need. Today, the Lord wants to give you mercy. Today, he wants to give you grace. Why? To help you in your time of need. As we endure, as we work, as we witness, as we wait, as we consider the coming of the Lord, what are we to do? Come boldly to the throne of grace. Say, Lord, I know that I need you because without you, I can do nothing.
Only in the Lord Jesus Christ can we find strength to endure in our hour of need. And if today, right now, it's your hour of need, you're saying, I need Jesus, I need grace, I need help, I'm in my moment of weakness, and I need the Lord, would you stand, because I want to pray for you today.